Welcome to the Life Story Coach Podcast, where you'll hear interviews, tips, and advice on the craft and business of personal history and life story writing with your host, Amy Woods Butler. Friends, today I'm happy to have C. David Millis on the show with us, or Corey. I met Corey at a writer's conference where I'd been asked to mentor, and he was giving a workshop presentation of the Blake Snyder's Save the Cat methodology. And if you haven't heard of it, Corey is actually the perfect person to introduce it. I'll let him explain in more detail what it is, but basically, it's a way to recognize structural elements in stories. So to recognize them and see if you have them and see if you still need them. Um, It's something that I'm always curious about this this idea of story structure, particularly because the types of projects that we do in personal history, um, it's it, it can be hard. It can be a real challenge to find the structure of a story. So back to Corey. So he is a novelist with several young adult titles to his name. He is an editor of the book, Save the Cat Goes to the Indies. And he's featured in the book, Lost Thoughts, which is about the hit TV series Lost. He's also a regular contributor to the Save the Cat website. And by day, Corey is a middle school teacher. And what I find really fascinating is how he uses this Save the Cat methodology in the classroom to teach his students the fundamentals of story structure. Welcome, Corey. Hello, it's great to be here. Well, I'm so glad that you agreed to come on and talk to us about this because I'm sure there are an awful lot of people like me who, you know, were were confronted with story structure and in something like a, a book of reminiscences, it, it it could be a tough thing to find. But anybody who's read any craft book on writing knows that there are some elements that that stories need to have. And I've been drawn to the Save the Cat stories or Save the Cat books. I know that they're written for screenwriters, but it's it really gets down to the essence of storytelling. And I was hoping that you could give us an overview of Blake Snyder and what these books are all about. Yeah, I'd be happy to. Um, basically, I, I also was not a screenwriter. I was just a novelist. And um, I was looking at books at, back then it was Borders Bookstore. And this one book, Save the Cat, kept catching my eye. But I thought, well, I'm not a screenwriter right now. So it probably won't have anything for me. And I couldn't have been more wrong. So I finally decided to pick it up after about a year of looking at it. And once I did, I realized that there was so much powerful information in there about how to write stories. Uh, Because what Save the Cat does is um, Blake Snyder, the author, uh, basically looked at movies, tons of different kinds of movies, different genres, different lengths, different styles, and um, he saw that they all had certain elements in common, certain plot elements. And by figuring that out and by basically giving everybody a common language to discuss it with, uh, Blake Snyder was able to see that, um, you know, it makes it easier to discuss our stories and to figure out what they need. So, for example, a lot of times when we're writing for a certain genre, we might think, oh, there's science fiction and fantasy and, um, you know, historical fiction. Well, really, If you look at it, you could take something like the movie Avatar. Is that science fiction? Is it environmental allegory? Is it realistic fiction? Is it fantasy? What is it? I mean, Harry Potter and Lord of the Rings and A Wrinkle in Time are all considered fantasy, but they're different kinds. So what he did was he came up with his own 10 genres, such as Monster in the House and Golden Fleece and Rite of Passage 
And chances are a lot of the writers that you're working with are writing um, stories that have golden fleece or rite of passage elements in them. And so each of those kinds of stories has specific um, elements to them. So for example, a rite of passage story is going to have three main elements. It's going to have a life problem, whether it's divorce or addiction or um, adolescent passage. The character or the individual usually goes about trying to solve it the wrong way. And then ultimately there comes acceptance when they finally figure out the way that they need to approach the problem. And so not only do he give us those different genres, which helps people identify the kind of story they're telling, but he also broke down the story structure, much in the same way that we've had the traditional plot structure with the rising action and the climax or the hero's journey. But when I used to teach ELA and I taught my English students about story elements, I would say, okay, so what's happening in the story in the rising action? And there were so many elements and so many events that were happening that it would be difficult for them to see what was important. So once I started using Blake Snyder's uh, techniques and his um, language for storytelling, it made it so much easier for them because there's so much happening during the rising action of a story before we ultimately get to the climax, or as Blake Snyder calls it, the finale. So by taking a look at those elements in a deeper way, uh, it, it enables the writer to really see what their story is missing. So, for example, um, years ago when I was writing my uh, young adult novel Paradox, I had laid out all my scenes, I had things figured out, but then I noticed something was missing. So once I laid it out and I looked at it, I noticed that the beat, the section um, that Blake Snyder calls bad guys close in, where things get worse for the main character before they get better, um, was totally missing from my plans. So I ended up having to figure out how can I make things worse for my main character to really help him learn the lesson he's going to need to learn. And by doing that, I had a stronger story. And it also became, for a lot of people, their favorite part of the book. So the Save the Cat story structure basically takes a plot outline and it allows you to see what elements are necessary to show the character's development. And this can work in memoir. It can work in nonfiction articles. It, it can pretty much work everywhere. Um, so the, a lot of people use it to write novels as well as screenplays. So you're talking about, for instance, the rising action. Blake Snyder really drilled down, and that's how he came up with all of the plot points, right, that he calls um, the, the beats on the beat sheet. Can you talk mm -hmm. a little bit about that? Yeah. So whenever we look at a story structure, uh, there's a few main things that they need to have. And and in Hollywood and in the screenwriting industry, they call those beats. So Blake Snyder came up with what he, what is now called the Blake Snyder beat sheet. And so it always starts out with an opening image. And the opening image is crucial because it tells so much about what the story is going to be about, the scope, um, the setting. It tells about the tone and the mood. So it should also provide um, basically a, a glimpse of the hero, the main character of what their life is like before all the events happen. And then sometime in the beginning, a theme is stated, uh, usually is said to the main character. It could be said in passing, um, like uh, the classic example is whenever somebody is wishing for something more and people tell them, be careful what you wish for, uh, something like that, because usually that's something that the main character needs to learn. So there's always going to be some element of that kind of said, but it's not going to be done in a cheesy way. It's going to be through natural dialogue or conversation. Um, and that's and, actually and one of that's one of the beats then that, that's listed yes. on the speech sheet. Okay. Yeah, the theme stated, um, and that's basically the thematic premise. That's going to be what is debated 
throughout the story, what the main character is going to need to learn. Because for any story to truly be uh, something good and something worth watching or reading, the main character needs to change. Like we've all come out of movies or stopped reading books where the character doesn't show any evidence of change. It's like just a whole bunch of CGI action and adventure, which looks great. It's nice eye candy, but you ultimately don't feel fulfilled or like it was worth your time. It might've been fun for a moment, but there's nothing of substance and we want something of substance if we're using our time with it. Just to interrupt you there for a minute, the idea of theme and stating the theme, you know, from writing novels, um, you can't be heavy handed with that. But what's different in the type of books that we do for personal history clients is that, you know, one of the main reasons why people want to do this type of book is to pass down their values, you know, to express their values, pass that down, to express lessons learned through life. So we actually have a lot more leeway and have having those boldly stated. But I think what um, the differences are, are where it really can be brought to life is when we recognize those um, at the outset, and then we can choose, help the person choose the memories that really um, bring those to life. So, you know, I, I, there's this quote that I really like, what time dilutes story condenses, right? So we're dealing generally with somebody's whole life story, but there is a selection process that goes on. And if we already, if we're stating the theme at the beginning, towards the beginning, like the, you know, like you do with the, with the Blake Snyder method, then um, as we're working on the book, we can highlight certain stories from their life that speak to that theme. Yeah, that's correct. Um, And that's one of the really powerful things is, you know, especially with life stories and biographies, people have things that they want to pass down, things that they've learned from, they want other people to learn from. Um, Obviously, if we're writing a story about our lives, there's something that we want to pass down and that we want other people to understand from our experiences, especially if they've been a trying experience. We don't want people to make the same mistakes we have. So that's a natural thing. When I used to teach English to seventh graders and they'd be writing life stories, we often did memoir pieces or personal narratives. A lot of times we would tell the students that they need to give the reader a sense of where they're coming from and who they're talking about. So they might understand and be able to picture everything in their mind about the time and the place, but I can't, I wasn't there. And that is something that actually the Blake Snyder beat sheet helped me with because the third beat is taking place during the beginning of the story. And that's called the setup. And that's where you introduce the main characters, um, the problems that are going on in the character's life, the setting and all the pieces that they're going to need to understand it. So by being able to use that common language, that actually helped my students because I would say, okay, you know, now you need to work on the setup. I don't know what it was like at your grandmother's house. Um, or if you're at sixth grade camp, I don't know what it's like there. I've never been. So you need to tell me what it's like, who's there. Um, you know, what were some of the things that you were dealing with? And so by having all that information, the setup, they're then able to progress to, um, what's known as the catalyst. Uh, usually it's called the inciting incident, but it's the event that will kick off a main character's journey into change. And so for a, a personal narrative piece or a biography, usually there's some key moment in our life that has changed everything. And of Mm -hmm. course, there's a lot of times there's several, but usually there's one big thing, especially if you're writing it in like a chapter or a section of a book. What is that big thing? And then how you react to that and how you question that. That's what Blake Snyder would call the debate. 
And so that's where people begin questioning, you know, why is this happening to me? Is it too late to turn back? What do I do about this? Because a lot of times there's that internal dialogue going on if you're writing about your life and by being able to sort through that and sort through what's going on in your mind, um, it kind of lets the reader know how you were thinking and how you were reacting to it. And ultimately, you get into what's called the break into two. And the hero's journey is crossing the threshold. Um, it's basically making a active step into embracing the problem that was brought about by the catalyst. So if you look at this in terms of personal narrative, like you work with with your readers, or sorry, your writers, um, they already have like a lot of great tools they can use to structure what they want to tell. They have an opening image that tells them what their that tells the reader what their life was like before all these events happen. They have something that they needed to learn to overcome some obstacle in their life. They have all the problems and people that were present in the setting, um, things that needed to be fixed. And then ultimately, you have an event that caused some kind of a change in their life and then how they reacted to it. So if a writer isn't sure, where do I start? They already have a lot of pieces. And only a little bit of that is into the rising action. So once you get into the break into two, Blake Snyder had usually what was called a B story. And that could be a subplot. Usually it's a helper story. Um, Usually there's some character or characters that will help the hero and the main character understand the theme in the end. And that's one of the powerful things I found is that the B story and the theme are connected pretty heavily. Mm -hmm. So this might be great if your writers are talking about their life and maybe there was someone that helped them through it. Maybe it was somebody at a church group or a school or a teacher or something, a neighbor, just there's somebody that probably helped them through it. And sometimes there might be more than one person or a group or something. Um, a relative. And it's that relationship uh, that is really powerful. And so then Blake Snyder would get into another beat called the fun and games. And of course, this might not be literal fun and games, especially if it's um, if you're writing a fictional story, if it's like a murder mystery, or if it's somebody's memoir about a difficult time. The fun and games is what Blake Snyder called the promise of the premise. Like if you pick up a story about um, something funny, then you're expecting to find something funny. If it's a like a like a movie like Jurassic Park, I'm expecting from the movie poster that this is going to have something to do with dinosaurs breaking loose and causing mm-hmm. havoc. So it needs to have those elements, and ultimately um, that'll lead to what's called the midpoint. And this is one of my favorite parts of the story. This is where um, the main character finally thinks that they get what they want. They think that the problem is solved. It's what's called a false victory. And it it basically is only going to be momentary. The stakes are going to be raised. And so with your writers, a lot of times this could be something that once they're addressing that life event um, that happened, how things seem to be going great for a while. But then at some point they realize that, you know, that wasn't true. And so... Mm Um, and I'm going to just stop you there for a second. When you yeah. say break into two, you're talking about uh, first act and then breaking into the second act. Is that yes. correct? Okay. Yeah. If we're using a traditional like three act structure, um, that's kind of a great way to look at it. And that's one of the other things I liked about what Blake Snyder did was he had brought in uh, what he calls the transformation machine, which is, I think, a very powerful tool to look at story structure. In the transformation machine, you have the three acts, which are the three worlds of change. So the first act you would call the thesis world. That's where you have your idea about how to go about the situation, how to go about life. The second act 
is after the hero takes that active step into the journey. And this is what he calls the antithesis world, the upside down version of life as they know it. Ultimately, it's leading toward the third act, which he called the synthesis world. That's where the main character or the person who's writing the story, um, if it's a biography, where they finally show that they have changed as a result of the journey. Mm-hmm. And so, yeah, the, the break into two is basically taking a step into act two. And so all of these steps that we've been briefly describing are happening during the rising action, um, including what happens after the midpoint, which is the uh, what Blake Snyder called the bad guys close in. So the main character thought that they had achieved a victory. They thought they had all they wanted, but it turns out things are going to get worse. And that's because things can't stay happy for the main character. They need to get a little bit worse for the hero to be broken down. And so this can be something as simple as doubt and dissent or jealousy or relationship problems. And, and I always use the example of like traditional romance movies, romantic comedies, um, at some point, the main characters, you know, after their whole dating and, you know, the relationship, eventually one of them confesses their love to the other. And the story's only halfway through. So we know that it can't be totally over because usually there's something that's going to pop up from the main character's past or some secret or something that threatens to end the relationship. And so usually in our own lives, when we're telling stories, we've achieved some kind of a success, but then that's when the problems begin. Um, you know, that's when the pressures mount and that's when we really see what we're made of. And so it's, a that's one of the things that I was missing in my book paradox. I had had all of the elements plotted out except for when the bad guys close in. And of course they can be physical bad guys. It can be a force of nature. If somebody is dealing with like a flood, um, it just shows that the antagonistic forces are making life harder for the character. And so ultimately this leads to what's known as the all is lost moment. And this is particularly powerful because it's the time when the hero is broken down to his or her worst point. Um, for example, there's usually what's called the whiff of death. And that could mean a literal death, or it could mean like the death of a relationship or the death of a dream. Um, at some point, there's something where the hero realizes they've been beaten and that he or she cannot continue on in this way. You know, whatever they've been trying doesn't work. And you see this really effective in a lot of movies and a lot of stories. Even children's stories have this, or I guess I should say family films. Um, Just take a look at any Disney Pixar movie and they do this masterfully. And so once you kind of look at it in those terms, you'll be able to see, wow, I see how they did that. One of the first stories that I looked at just to, and I say stories, I I actually mean movies. So one of the (laughs) first movies that I looked at to try to figure this out to see where these beats were in the movie was The Wizard of Oz. And it's remarkable mm-hmm. how well it matches up. And that's that's one little bit of advice that I can give to people who are trying to figure out structure, you know, just trying to learn structure, how much you can apply to a, a personal life story. You know, that's, that's a little bit of a different discussion, but just getting a really good um, solid grounding in how a story structure works go for um you know like you said the the kids movies some of the really high quality kids movies they're made so that they're easily dissected and you could really start understanding you know what you're reading you can match it up to what you're seeing in these stories yeah i totally agree and uh, my my own kids like my daughter is 10 and my son is 8 
at, we always talk about story structure a lot because we're kind of story nerds. And so <laughs> they will go to when they go to the movies afterwards, especially my daughter, they'll talk like, okay, what was y'all is lost moment? What was this? And, you know, we'll actually be able to dissect it. And, and sometimes the all is lost moment is where you get kind of teary eyed. Um, it depends on the story, if it's going to be a literal death or just something really sad when friends part ways. But um, like even when my kids went and saw the Lego Batman movie, they're like, we think we know what the all is lost moment is. Once you get to go see it, you know, tell us if we were right. And sure enough, I'm like, what did you think? And they told me, I'm like, yep, you were right. And I said, they because right. that's where, that's great. <laughs> I said, that's where Batman had to learn the lesson and and learn what he needed. And um, they, they're able to see how characters change. And and they can also spot when movies don't really have that. And they'll say, yeah, that movie is just okay. Didn't really have a lot of character change. Didn't really have an all is lost moment. Because they know that once the all is lost moment happens, that the story is going to be winding up. And so um, like a great example of this is in the movie Up, which is a classic Disney Pixar film. Um, it really shows the main character, Carl, the old man, and what he needed to do to learn how to change. Um, I also look at like Wreck-It Ralph. I think that one is fantastic um, mm-hmm. because Ralph, he definitely changes. And there's a reason for that. So, yeah, I always suggest to people to watch Disney Pixar movies um, if you want to start something simple. Right. And, and the movie Up, I mean, just just taking that whole first sequence um, before the before the movie proper uh-huh. starts, I, th- that one makes me cry every time. And that is a story in itself. Um, no dialogue whatsoever. But um, oh, yeah, yeah I, I agree with you. I, th- I think these are wonderful movies to look at when we're trying to figure all this stuff out. And I would love to listen in on your dinner table conversation. <laughs> I think that's great. Your kids are growing up knowing this stuff, all the stuff that like Later on, we're all trying to figure out. And I think, don't you think that's that we know just being by dint of being human, that we all have sort of an instinct for what story is? Well, yeah, I think that's a big part of it. So you mentioned The Wizard of Oz. And actually, um, uh, sometime this year, I wrote a beat sheet for The Wizard of Oz on the Save the Cat website. Because, you know, one of the things that people worry about is, um, are you teaching a formula? Because we don't want to write to formulas. And I always answer no. Um, formula and structure are two different things. Um, I always make the analogy of construction. So a formula is something where you have inputs A, B, and outspit C, and everything is just done for you, whereas structure gives you a foundation. So if you look at a house or any building, they have the same basic components that we know they need. They have electricity, they have walls, they have a foundation, they have windows, they have a ceiling um, or a roof. But what the architect, what the author of that building does is going to make it totally unique and totally different. And so the same thing is true with story structure. And that's all Blake Snyder did was he identified common elements that we are kind of wired to understand and wired to need. Because from the beginning of time, when I guess you could say like early people were telling stories around the campfires, they were telling stories about how to survive and mm-hmm. they were telling stories about their life lessons. And so there was a lesson in there. There was a theme about how to survive. And ultimately, um, they weren't just telling stories for fun. They're, it was a matter of survival. So I think that our brains are wired to accept stories a certain way. And Blake Snyder just codified that and gave us all a common language so that when someone is saying like, hey, you know, where's your main character learning the lesson? You know, well, we can look to the all is lost moment and see you know, what's happened. We can look at the dark night of the soul. So sometimes looking back at some of the older movies like Wizard of Oz, they definitely fit because 
that's just the way stories are written. And when they're not written a certain way, when they're not told a certain way, we kind of walk away feeling empty. And so that's one of the important things I would say for people writing about their lives, make sure that it tells a story, make sure that it has some kind of a lesson that the readers can take away from. Um, like you mentioned up and yes, that beginning scene in the setup, um, shows all the things that need to be fixed in his life. It gives you a sense of the scope. It gives you a sense of the tone of the movie. Um, it tells you, you know, who the characters are and it just tells you a lot about the character. And like you said, it's done without words. Um, there are a lot of short films that are made, whether they're like the ones that show in front of Disney Pixar movies or just on the internet. And even in those short six minute films, you can get a great sense of story structure. And well, even even in the movie trailers now, you I mean, basically they're they're giving the story structure right there, right? I mean, that's how trailers yeah. are are made. Yeah, and and um, sometimes I think that trailers end up trying to do that, and and to their detriment because they end up showing so much of the movie. It's like you've shown me the whole movie, and so I actually wrote a blog post um, about like what parts of the beat sheet should they be showing. Like, yes, they should show something of the theme and the setup and the problems of the character's life, but don't show me how they overcome it yet. Not you know, let right. me go experience that because that's what a lot of them do. They show the ending, and you know, I. And I've seen that several times and I'd say they just showed the entire story. Like, you know, don't go beyond the midpoint, you know, let us see all that stuff for ourselves. Right. Um, it's like the tweet version, a, the Twitter version of movies. Then you don't have to go see the movie. You just, well, you got it. In yeah, time. I agree. You know, what's equivalent to 140 characters or, or, or less. Yeah, you're totally right. Because that's one of the most powerful things is experiencing that change with the character, you know, having that catharsis. And um, like we mentioned, the all is lost moment. And usually what follows that is what is called the dark night of the soul. And that's where the character deals with it. So if you look at Up, um, the Disney Pixar film, you know, Carl, the old man basically tells the boy to, you know, go away, get out of here. I don't need anybody else in my life. I'm finally where I want to be. And he's sitting totally alone in in his house that he brought to that place. He promised his wife he'd bring it to, you know, mm-hmm. thinking he'd be totally fulfilled. And as he sits there looking through the memories of the book, he's dealing with, you know, the fact that he's lost everything he thinks he'd be happy, but he's not. There's something bigger. And then he's finally in the dark night of the soul learning the lesson. And so that's when the you know person's able to go into act three, or as Blake Snyder called it, the break into three. And then now is where we get the climax. Now is where we get what Blake Snyder calls the finale, where evil is dealt with or the problem is finally solved. And so all those steps we just talked about, that's all part of, pretty much part of the rising action from the catalyst all the way up to now are all things that happen during the rising action. And so when I would teach that to my students, I would say, look, you know, just saying to you, tell me what happens in the rising action isn't enough because a lot happens. But what does it mean? Why is it there? So when I would teach that to my students, I found that not only was that helping the struggling readers and writers, but also the ones who were gifted and talented that need a little bit of extra challenge. So the students who were struggling with writing and said they don't know what to write, I would just say, okay, write what, what's happening in this beat. So if you're in your setup, what needs to be fixed in your life? What are some of the problems? Um, what were the things that you needed to learn? There's your theme. What happened that made you start to go on this journey? That's the catalyst. How did you react to it? That's the debate section. So once I gave them those key anchors, it really helped them. And they were able to write all the way through the finale, the climax. And then the last beat is what Blake Snyder called the final image. And what I love about this is 
This truly helps people with writing endings because the final image should be kind of a mirror reflection of the opening image. If the opening image showed the main character in their life before the journey, the final image should show what has happened in their life after the journey has happened and should show their life, but totally different. And it doesn't have to be some huge change kind of thing, but it should show, yes, they've grown. um, They're a different individual now as a result of this journey. And so sometimes when people say, I don't know how to end my book, Um, I don't know how to end my story about my life um, of what I've written, I just say, okay, go back to your opening image. What is the first thing that you wrote? And now look, how is it different? And for a lot of people, when I do speaking engagements, they say, hey, I finally know how I'm going to end my story. Mm. I just had to look at the beginning. And so by looking at the opening image and finding a way to contrast it with your final image, you know, it pretty much writes itself. Well, yeah. And, you know, that's interesting, too, because when you first started talking about the opening image, obviously, we're talking about movies, but in the corollary for a book, I I don't particularly like the types of life story books that open up with, I was born on, you know, such and such a day in such yeah. and such a place. It's it's right away. It's, it's kind of a snooze. But how do you get creative? And one of the things that I've played around with is having an introduction or a, or not really a preface, it'd be more of an introduction and having a scene that comes later in their life near a turning point. So when you're talking about, um, you know, when you're talking about the catalyst for a certain problem, what I'm seeing in, in, um, for, for my clients is we all have multiple catalysts that kick off multiple problems throughout our lives, right? Some of them are more intense than others. Um, but in general, if you're look, if you're looking at the span of a whole life, there's not going to be one major conflict. There's going to be multiple. And those are, you know, I, I often encourage the clients that I'm working with to look at, um, to identify turning points in their life. And that can be something, right. That can be, you know, and sometimes they're really obvious, you know, shipping out to world war two, that's, an obvious turning point um, or it can be something something tragic or something happy and if you if you can take one of those uh, create a scene you know taking an, an anecdote that somebody has told you about create a scene and open the book with that and then go back into their origins and you know maybe a little bit of the the things about their um, their ancestors or their their grandparents or great grandparents, and then you can circle around back to that opening image, whether it's at the very you know whether it's the final image of the book. And that one, Corey, that one is really tricky because obviously the people that we're doing these life stories for they are their their own storyteller. Their life is still going on, so exactly. how to end it gets a little bit it gets a little bit tricky, particularly because a lot of people want the focus of the book is um, often times on their growing up years and their young adulthood. And then of course they want to talk about what comes later, but uh, not as not in as much depth or detail. Yeah, exactly. What I think is really interesting and I think can be a good exercise for us to learn story structure is looking at the, um, the beats and trying to line them up. And, um, and then he, Blake Snyder actually went a little bit further than that, correct? He had the 15 beats, but then he broke it out into actually, it is it 40 scenes? Yeah. 
In a, in a traditional screenplay, you know, usually there's 40 different scenes that people will, um, you know, kind of have. And so by breaking it down to 40 scenes um, within three acts, it makes it a lot easier. And of course, you can have multiple pieces per scene, but in his books, he does kind of talk about that. And so once you know how to do that, it actually helps you fill in some of the missing parts, too. And so, yeah, he was able to take those 15 main beats and then show like, okay, when you're going through the bad guys close in, um, those scenes can really do make a powerful impact by alternating between internal and external conflict. And so if you go back and forth and the same thing um, with the fun and games, if you go back and forth between internal events and external events um, or the debate show the main character at home, at work and at play. So what's your life like at their house? Uh, what's your life like? you know, with those that they work with and then when they're enjoying life. So you can actually kind of fill in and learn a lot about the character, um, about the and the protagonist by looking at different aspects of their life. And that was one of the brilliant things that Blake Snyder did. I've been reading a lot of biographies lately and kind of trying to pull them apart a little bit and see how the biographer um, incorporates information and and builds a story from that. And it seems to be similar to what you're saying where, you know, there's there's the setup and then there's, you know, there's conflict. Um, but so for instance, I've been looking at Gertrude Bell. She's one of my new heroes. And um, she was, she she was just this Renaissance woman around the turn of the last century. And um, she was had a very big role in what they used to call Arabia and after World War I when it was all divided up into separate countries and in the founding of the state of Iraq. So she had a lot to do with that. So there's been a couple of biographies that have been written about her and a couple of movies that have been made about her. And what um, one of the reasons why she is such a good subject for biography is because she wrote copiously and uh, there you can find all of her diary entries you can find her letters it's all been collected it's all been digitized so it's all available and it's interesting to read through the um, the diary entries and the letters and then compare that time period with what um, her biographer wrote up in the book and what I've come to realize is that the, the information that is presented in, in the actual biography is cherry picked and it, it, um, everything serves a few of the themes. So there's, there's a main theme, which is this intrepid explorer, brilliant woman who went off and did all of these incredible things. Um, and then there's some, some minor themes like, you know, she loved flowers. She loved, um, she loved gardening. And I think that probably plays into, well, she was a woman after all, you know, so, um, And, and it's just interesting to see what makes it into the biography, because obviously most of the stuff that Gertrude Bell herself wrote does not make it in. Um, but that's, you know, you're, you're talking about, you know, teaching the kids what things to choose to put in their stories. And that, um, you know, kids, I just happen to know from having raised three of my own, you know, they have the tendency to just, you know, from go from point A to B to C to C and then and then and then and then. But you're teaching yeah, them exactly. actually, you know, it, that's not how we want to hear stories, right? Yeah, exactly. That the events that are chosen should have a purpose and ultimately should show some of the characters development. And um, I always compare it to them uh, for them uh, compared to like an action movie. A lot of times they'll see a movie and it just has a lot of great special effects and explosions and car chases. But really what what 
depth is there? Um, you're just showing me action event after action event. You know, I want to see the events and, and every event should show somehow um, how it contributes to the development of the character. And so if it's not helping show us how the person or the character has developed and changed emotionally or in their character, why is it even in there? And so one time I remember we were reading a book as a class, a novel that was a pretty popular novel. And uh, some one of the students eventually said, it's just like a lot of action happening. One scene after another, a chase scene after another, they're not really showing anybody change and it's kind of getting boring. And I was like, yeah, I agree. You know, I wanted to let them form that decision on their own, but they just saw if you don't have change and if the events are not being used to show any of that change, it can become kind of boring. And a lot of times people want to put that book down. So even people writing about their life, um, you know, they want to make sure that they the events that they show demonstrate somehow that shaped their life. It doesn't have to mean that, well, when I was a kid, this happened, it changed my life forever. But how did it shape you into who you are today? How did those have an impact on how you interact with your own children or grandchildren or those around you. So not just all these great things or bad things happen to me in my life, but you know, what have they done to make me into who I am today? Because ultimately that shows change on a grander level. Right. Right. And I think by, by, choosing, you know, by by having a process where we select the things to highlight, um, the conflict might not be as straightforward as what you would find, especially in a movie, but in even in novels. But we can we all have conflict in our life and we can choose um for for a life story book, we can choose the conflict and and highlight that a bit more and then what results, you know, the transformation afterwards. So I think that even though um, it is imposing something slightly artificial on a life, it's to make sense of the the message that the person wants to deliver about their life, you know, it, it, to, to give some, um, to make the values that they're delivering breathe and, and feel real to the people who are reading the book. Yeah, this this is yeah, really exactly. good stuff, and I'm I'm so I'm so happy that you are making savvy readers out of these children. I'm trying to, they're they're great kids, and sometimes um, the kids that think that they can't read and think they can't write just haven't discovered the right tools. They haven't had the right tools in their toolbox. So I remember years ago just teaching some kids, and um, one student who's gosh probably graduated college by now said, "I don't like to read. I don't like to write, and you can't make me do that." And I just said, okay, once you find the right kinds of stories that you like, you'll be fine. And sure enough, this same student would be reading all the time um, once he found the books that he liked. And his parents even emailed me and said, what is going on? He's not playing video games. He's reading books. You know, he's working on his own stories. And once you discover the power of a story and how it can transform other people, um, that's when you really find how awesome it is and how amazing. Mm -hmm. And so I love it when students say, hey, you know, I actually wrote this and they're proud of it. And they realize that they've written something of substance and that just makes them more powerful and um, they feel empowered to do other great things. Right, right. That, that's a great thing to teach them. So you write um, pretty regularly. You do these beat sheets for the Save the Cat website, correct? Yes, that's correct. Okay. So have there been any movies that you've come across where you just couldn't quite find the beats? Um, have any been really challenging to to match up with this beat sheet? Um, some the ones that I've written have been you know pretty easy and straightforward that don't feel formulaic at all. Sometimes I'll see movies and I'll think, yeah, stuff doesn't really fit. And usually those are ones that don't do so well in audiences' eyes. 
um, or that don't do so well at the box office. And that's because, like, like I said, our um, our brains are wired to have stories taught to us a certain way. And so when they fall flat of that expectation of what we're used to having, it doesn't really seem to resonate. And so while the movie might be okay, sometimes it's like, yeah, you know, it didn't really have a clear theme mm. and you don't want it stuffed on your throat or like, you know, be preachy like an after school special, but it should have something of a substance or, okay, the main character is, you know, just kind of like a, a, a stereotype or a cardboard cutout. They don't really seem to emote. And so there have been times where I'm like, yeah, that movie, you know, I mean, it has the beats there, but they're just not as powerful as they could be. I mean, I especially love looking at the midpoint of a story. Um, the midpoint can be extremely powerful and can just teach you so much. So one of my favorite midpoints of recent movies is the movie Logan, which I'm not into violent movies or anything. And this movie does have a lot of violence because it's about the guy who plays Wolverine mm-hmm. and he has claws, but there's this, he's never really been able to have a stable life. He's always been on the run. He's basically almost eternal or immortal because of his mutant powers. Um, but he's always longed for a relaxed family life. And there's a scene in the movie where he and um, a few other characters are sitting down to a family dinner. And it just seems like the perfect moment for him. It's all he's ever wanted is to sit down with a family at dinner. And so that shows just a nice little glimpse into the character. And I think that's why that movie did so well at theaters is not just because it was a superhero movie, but Mm. because it was a great character study as well. Right, right. Okay. So just remind me that you said that's the midpoint. That's the beat that that occurs at. Yeah. And what is the purpose of that point of of that uh, beat? Um, The midpoint usually shows how the main story and the subplot kind of cross paths. So you have what's called the A story and the B story. They kind of cross paths and the hero kind of gets what he or she thinks that they want. Um, And this is where they seem to have a false victory usually. Like it looks like they've won. It looks like the case has been solved. It looks like, you know, the other, you know, love interest has fallen in love with them and everything is going great. Well, but the next beat is bad guys close in. So we know that things mm. are going to get worse because for the care, it's kind of like, you know, for the character to truly be built up, they have to be crushed. And so, you know, you can't, you can't really build someone up if they think that everything's still okay. They have to be brought down to their lowest point. And that's true in, in real life too. A lot of times when people make a decision in their life, whether it's from something like drug abuse or alcoholism or anything else like that, they say at the one time when they actually learn from their life is when they were brought to their lowest point. When they didn't think they could get any lower, that's when they decided to change. And that's reflective of that all is lost in Dark Knight of the Soul beat too. Oh, okay, right. And in Logan, after you see him sitting with his family having this peaceful moment, I'm assuming after that, things go crazy, things go sideways for him? Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Okay. Things get a lot worse and things don't end up how he wanted. So it'd be great if he could freeze that moment in time and stay there. Life would be perfect because it's a false victory, though. The stakes are raised now because... You know, the family that they're staying with doesn't know who or what he is. And, you know, if the bad guys catch up to him, they could put that family at risk, too. So usually at the midpoint, the stakes are raised. You know, things get more serious. Do you have to see movies more than once to figure all of this out? 
Um, sometimes like if I'm going to write a beat sheet about it, I will go see it a second time. Um, just, and also because I like to support good movies or my kids want to see, uh, some movies, but, um, usually by, and this is one thing that like you said to your readers to, you know, or your writers to, um, watch movies or read biographies or memoirs. Um, the more you immerse yourself in something, the easier it'll be to understand it and you'll be able to, um, see the pieces. So I always tell people, the more you watch movies and look at them in terms of the beats, it doesn't ruin the movies for you. It lets you see them in a different mm-hmm. way. And so you can see why they work the way they do. What's powerful? Why is it powerful? And so I always tell people it's kind of like in the movie. Well, it's about 20 years old now, the matrix where one character says, now I, j- I see the code. And so, you know, you see the world around you, but in a different way. So I see movies the same way I can enjoy them on a surface level, but I also can see the, you know, code behind them and how the pieces are working and how the characters are working to fit together. So eventually it becomes easier and easier. Like I said, my kids can see the midpoint. They can see um, when a theme is in there, they're going to be learning and they'll see how, um, there's an all is lost moment and they'll be like, Oh, this is the worst part that could happen to the character. You know, if they hadn't set on the journey, this would never happen. And so they're able to pretty much see that now. And that kind of helps them understand how the characters are developing too. And so when they're trying to write their own stories, they see that. Uh, when you're teaching this, um, when you're presenting on the, the beat sheet, um, or you're bringing it to your students, do you think that it's a good thing to use right from the beginning? Or is it something best used um, after you've written a first draft of something and then you go back and see if you have all of the beats that you need? How, how can it be implemented best? Um, and that's a great question. A lot of times people ask that because they don't want to be shoehorned into what they call a formula, but at the same time, they want to make sure they have the right elements. And I always say, you know, it's a tool. Use it how you feel like you should use it. Some people are, you know, plotters. They like to plan things out if they're writing a novel or any story, and they like to make sure they have all the elements before they start. Um, some people like to just start writing and see where it takes them. And you can do it either way. Um, sometimes I've written novels where I plot everything out to make sure I have it. Other times I've written it and then I've gone back to see, okay, where, what am I missing? And that, so it just kind of depends on your storytelling structure needs and your writing experience. If it works better for you to write it out. I mean, especially if you're in tune with a lot of writing and stories, you're probably naturally going to have most of those elements there. And so Looking at the beat sheet afterwards will help you just fine tune things. Um, in, in Blake Snyder's books, they even have like a beat sheet checklist, which even if you're not writing a script is extremely helpful because you can take a look at, you know, why certain things are there and if you're missing things. Mm-hmm. Well, okay. And that bring we're getting kind of close to the end here, but one, one more big question is, can you apply this to sections of a book? So instead of just the overall structure um, having, you know, these 15 beats, can you take, say, a chapter or an episode in somebody's life and apply it that way? Oh, yeah, I definitely think so. Because um, as I've said earlier, you can take a look at some of the short films that have been written um, that might precede a Disney movie or something. And even though they're six minutes, they might not even have any dialogue. um, And they will actually have a good solid structure. Um, just this week on Save the Cats uh, website, they did a beat sheet on a commercial. A it's about a three minute commercial for uh, I think it's the advertise uh, the razor um, product Harry's um, that company. They they had a a little mini 
short film that's about three minutes called like what is it to be a man or something and um they're able to see that in that short short commercial that they had all the beats so yeah you could definitely do that and you might not have like a subplot in every single life story but by having those certain elements you can kind of say yeah you know this this seems to make sense this has kind of what i need Mm -hmm. and so you can look at it in many different ways that way right and subplots subplots are actually that's something that life stories are usually rife with you know i Speaking of the Blake Snyder's genres, you know, the rite of passage or like the buddy love one, you're usually going to find that in somebody's life story. So, you know, say somebody goes off to war and they're getting letters from home because they just got married right before they shipped out, you know, and and that can be um, that again is where we as the writer shine the the focus or shine the light to f- bring something into focus. So, um, you know, maybe the story is mainly, or that section of the story is mainly going to be about their their military exploits. But we know that the reason they're staying strong and courageous is because they have um, their love at home, or maybe their wife, you know, they just got married and they have a new child at home. So I guess that's where, you know, that's sort of the B story, right? In a, in a life story. Yeah, exactly. And I think it was great that you brought up the buddy love genre where, you know, the three main components are you have an incomplete hero, a counterpart, which is the person they love or um, are in love with, and then there's a complication. So Mm -hmm. even if someone's already married, like you mentioned, the person going off to war, you know, they're incomplete without the person they just married, but there's a complication, they're away at war. And so, like you said, the, um, you know, the, the B story, the subplot could involve the relationship with their child or the newborn that they might not get to see and maybe that's what drives them or that's why they wrote letters and so there's so many different things that you can pull into the story structure to make it more powerful and the more powerful it was for the writer to experience if they insert those emotions and they make sure to show how things changed them and affected them deeply then they're definitely going to have that same effect on the audience mm-hmm, mm-hmm. another one that really struck me was the institutionalized and that that was because, you know, I, I work with a lot of people who are um, in their 70s now, you know, people that went through the whole, you know, some of them were hippies, a uh, few generations, yeah. you know, a few decades ago. And, and one in particular, it made me think of because I think I, I jotted down a note here that institutionalizes where the the person the the main character is considering joining a group that has its own rules and norms, right? And, and whether it's worth the yeah, cost exactly. that. And one of my clients is telling the story of actually his father, who um, brought the whole family to a, um, a religious, intentional community um, in, in South America. Huh. Um, so, you know, and the, and the big, the big theme with that was, you know, is it worth pulling out of the the mainstream society and living in this other society. So it was in a very real way, exactly what this, what Blake Snyder described in the institutionalized. Um, yeah, there's, it's just, it's crazy looking at all of the different genres as he defines them and seeing how they do match up with people's real life stories. It's, it's very interesting. And it, I think gives us um, kind of a, a way into people's stories. Well, yeah. And and actually, um, it's good that you mentioned institutionalized because if you think about it, the family is an institution. Mm. And so um, I just watched the movie a few months ago called Fences with Desmond, I'm sorry, um, Denzel Washington. And um, he it's basically an institutionalized story about um, a man who's kind of gone through life one way and his son wants to 
kind of break apart and break away, but the father's afraid to let him do that. And so it's this whole family institution story, but really you could do it with um, any kind of uh, the genres. So there's the out of the bottle, which is kind of like you have a wish and something happens and you get a lesson out of it. While it might not actually be a magical thing, maybe somebody had a wonderful experience where, you know, they got to, um, you know, have a certain job for a month or, um, there's the dude with a problem genre where there's a sudden event and the main person's an innocent hero. And how did they deal with that? It was a life or death circumstance. Um, I also use like monster in the house. Maybe somebody was facing some great fear or something very dangerous. And, you know, how did they deal with that? And um, so, yeah, you could take any of the genres and kind of see how could this apply to my real life? You know, it might not be exactly like Blake Snyder said, but how could I take it and put a little bit of a twist Mm -hmm. on it? And sometimes that helps you find the story elements that you need. Right, exactly. Well, Corey, this has been wonderful. And I could go on talking about this for a really long time. I just think it's so interesting. Um, <laughs> so good. Yeah. And, and why don't you tell everybody, uh, are you working on any novels right now? Or, or what can we expect to see from you in the future? I've had a variety of projects I've been working on, but uh, one of them, I'm currently working on a young adult novel about a girl who wakes up from um, having brain surgery and doesn't have a lot of memories. And she starts to question why that is and why this experimental procedure was done to her. And um, it kind of deals with who you can trust and who you can't. And so I'm about halfway through there. I'm almost at the midpoint and I've had to put that on hold for a while. And I have several other ideas, but um, if people want to see more of the novels I've written, they can go to cdavidmillis.com. Um, one novel that I wrote actually is kind of timely, but I wrote it years ago, kind of in response to Columbine. It's called Redemption, and it actually deals with a school oh, shooting, boy, yeah. um, which, yeah. you know, and I never like advertise that around the time that school shootings happen, but unfortunately, it's been happening more mm-hmm. and more. And so one of my favorite things that... Um, an audience reaction or a reader reaction said, um, and I put this quote on the homepage of the, on my webpage, it just says like um, something effect of forget those canned um, bullying assemblies that schools do. Millis's book is in the first step to achieving real change. Wow. And so, yeah, that's like the highest, you know, compliment I think it could receive. That's wonderful. Yeah. Yeah. Well, great. Um, so if people want to get a hold of you, your website, see David Millis and Millis is M-I-L-L-E-S and that's dot com. That's okay. correct. Any place else that they uh-huh. should look for you? Um, they can find me at, uh, I believe it's a C. David Millis writer on Facebook. Um, you know, I can usually be found there. And if they want to email me, they can email me at cdavidmillis at gmail.com. Okay, very good. And your beat sheets are up on the savethecat.com website as well, correct? Yeah, they can just go to savethecat.com. And the website has tons of beat sheets in different genres they can study, lots of tools, and just lots of great things that they can learn. It'll really help them with story mm-hmm. structure. Well, great. Wonderful. Uh, okay, one really last, this is the last question, I promise. Do you bring a notebook in with you to the movies? No. Um, in the past, though, like when I wanted to analyze a bigger movie, I brought a little tiny, one of those, um, you know, tiny spiral notebooks. And it's hard to write I know, in the dark. So I really don't do that. <laughs> I've tried it. And I, my kids are like, what are you doing? I'm like, I'm trying to write. <laughs> yeah, you get some funny looks that way. <laughs> okay, Corey. Yeah. Well, thank you so much for taking the time to talk with us. This is this has been wonderful. And I would love to have you on again, because I just like I said, I'm fascinated with story structure and learning all about it. And um, you you have it, you know, it forwards and backwards. So this this has been great. Thank you. It's been my pleasure. 
Hi again, friends. I hope you enjoyed today's talk with C. David Millis. If you want to take a closer look at the Save the Cat methodology, head over to the show notes at thelifestorycoach.com forward slash episode 10. That's episode one zero. And you'll find links to his books, um, the Blake Snyder Save the Cat books, along with links to Corey's novels and all the other things that we mentioned on this episode. And in case you're curious, um, because I realized we didn't mention it, the term Save the Cat, it's a reference to a quick plot trick that they often use in movies where a protagonist wins favor with the audience early on by showing some random act of goodness or kindness, so like saving a cat. Um, One really good example is from an old Al Pacino movie called Sea of Love. Oh my gosh, it used to be one of my favorites. Very romantic. Um, But he's a tough guy. He's a, I think he's a plainclothes detective. And at the, towards the beginning of the movie, they show him walking into a sting operation where a whole bunch of wanted criminals have been duped into um, coming to pick up supposedly free tickets to a sporting event. And as Al Pacino is walking in, he sees a man there with his son and not wanting the man to get caught in the sting operation because he has a son with him. He very casually opens up his jacket and flashes in the badge as a warning to get out of there. Um, Now, he also says, catch you later, showing that the guy is off the hook for now, but that Al Pacino is a tough guy and he's going to pursue him. Um, But he's a tough guy with a soft side. So it's very subtle and very effective. And it just takes a moment. And all of these things that we've been talking about are they are intended for movie making, for for script writers. But you know, a story is a story. So I'm hoping that this conversation has given you some fresh ideas on how to incorporate some of this into your client's life stories. And if you have any other ideas that could help the rest of us, or any questions about today's episode, share them in the comments at thelifestorycoach.com forward slash episode 10. And if today's show was helpful, the best way you can return the favor is to leave us a review on iTunes. I'm Amy Woods Butler, personal historian and your coach for building your own personal history business. Now go out and save someone's story. 